Welcome to Season 2 of Stumble Upon. I'm Austin. And I'm Emily. Today, we are discussing Female Prisoner number 701 Scorpion, directed by Shunya Ito. As always, there'll be spoilers and swearing, but if that doesn't scare you... Then put on your favorite tie-dye dress, make some popcorn, and prepare to break out of societal chains, because we are discussing badass women. So last night, I threw on My Fair Lady and was just casually watching it for the first time in, oh, I don't know, what, 20 years? I haven't seen it in forever. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really surprised by a couple things. First of all, Audrey Hepburn's performance was wonderful. She's so good. Mm-hmm. But the thing that really surprised me was consent, the idea of consent. I was floored by the scene right at the beginning when Audrey Hepburn's character shows up and she's going to be taken in by the, by the professor and he's going to train her on how to have elocution classes, which she showed up expecting just to have language classes that she was going to pay for. And she very much is a strong-willed woman. And I really liked I really liked her performance um, and the character, frankly. But the dismissal with which the upper class treats the lower class within the scene of her having to take a bath, of her not knowing anything about it, not understanding what a bath was, and then three women are ripping off her clothes to shove her into the steaming hot bath without any explanation, mm-hmm. without any consent from her, without spending time with her to explain what the situation was, what its value was, what its important was, importance was. And then she keeps saying, I'm a good girl, which is so interesting because this is a rape to her. This is an assault on her mm-hmm. and it's played for comedy. Yeah. And I remember as a little kid thinking, oh, it's so funny. She doesn't want to get in the bath. Right. Because the bath was so normalized for us. It was an experience we all had many, many, many times. Yeah. And like, and let me say, I've never seen My Fair Lady. Like, I know Pygmalion. I've seen the movie version of Pygmalion. Uh, but I've never seen this film. And what it sounds like almost just in what you're saying is they're making her an infant. Like, her fighting a bath can be funny to other infants who also go through having their parents fight them to get clean but yeah, it does little kids but but there's a difference between you know a, a, a child and a consenting adult that that from what from what you're describing and tell me if I'm, I'm way off Absolutely. base with this that it sounds like what you're describing is they're they're playing it like she doesn't know any better, even though she's a woman who made the choice to come here to learn how to speak better, to do these things that adult, like she views are adultish issues. They're then being made, she's being infantile. Everyone of that class is. Mm-hmm. It's definitely, a, it, it, yes, and I would say that it's, obviously they're trying to play up the classism and say, mm-hmm. you know, uh, they're supporting her in some way, saying, see, this is how the upper classes are treating mm-hmm. the lower classes. Like, they're somehow better just because they have funding. Right. Which is, of course, the whole point mm-hmm. of the fucking movie. But um, it just, to me, it, yes. And it just, to me, it was the, sh- the shock of how comedic this assault was. Mm-hmm. And and they were bringing it up over and over again in the scene preceding her going up to the bath was what is it you're saying by having her stay here? Yeah. The housekeeper is like, what do you mean professor Higgins that you want her 
to stay here? Mm-hmm. What are you asking of her? What are the expectations? And then his friend is doing the same thing. No, you need to lay out the rules. So there was an element of you can't just flippantly take in this woman and um, and just you, you don't possess her. Mm-hmm. She is a free spirit right. who can do as she wishes. And you're just saying, no, you're going to do this thing and I don't care and, and bully her, which is what they discuss. But to have that conversation only to then immediately be ripping off her clothes and shoving her in a bath. We don't see it because it gets all steamed up. Yeah. But we see her struggle and fight. Well, also this is crazy. It's also a a major Hollywood film from the, what, early 60s, late 50s, sometime in that era. Like it's like there's no way that you would get with production codes the ability to actually show her being ripped uh uh, her clothes being ripped off and her being naked and the actual violation like that, that, that doing that would undermine what the tone of this film is mm-hmm. in multiple ways, because it would be showing her being assaulted and also showing her being nude, which in a kind of musical comedy that the film is supposed to be uh, goes that, against the direct points of it, makes it that in, point in yeah. time, yeah, for sure. It, it would make it a more interesting film in some ways because you'd have to deal with the the actual the um, reality of what's happening, right? But it it's like that's not that's not what the film's goal is. I have to go back and read Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion to see yeah. if if this is actually a conversation in the book mm-hmm. and if they gloss over or it. or in the play in the play or if they gloss over it um, just in the film or. Yeah, I'm just I'm curious about the source material. Yeah. But I don't know. It was just it's one of those things that goes back to the line that I said in an earlier podcast in the film Clouds of Sils Maria. The line is um the text is an object and it changes perspective depending on where you're standing. Yeah. Some variation of that. But like as a little kid, what I saw in that scene versus what I see now in 2022, mm-hmm. I was I was just so surprised. I ended up pausing the movie at that point and being like, "I'll come back to this later." Yeah, but I just it was so unsettling. Mm-hmm. It, it was so unsettling because it felt so like it was so dismissive of her feelings, right? Which is so interesting when we think about what we're going to talk about today. Yeah, and and before we get right into the the film that we're talking about today, and I do think that like that moment that you're talking about relates directly to a whole bunch that happens in. Uh, in uh, female uh, prisoner 701 scorpion which i promise you i will fucking butcher that i will call it female prisoner scorpion and i will be all over the place it was called 701 today the the title like i love the film i fucking love it but i can't like cannot for the life of me like something in my brain has just switched off and short like, circuit it yeah i'm like nope you're just not going to be able to remember Never the title get the, the title right you're like cool great <laughs> well done me but so <laughs> So what I wanted to say was like there is a uh, one of my favorite things when I was younger. One of my favorite things about watching or reading film criticism was reading film criticism by someone like uh, Roger Ebert, who, while I've grown up and have now have a little bit of uh, distance from my relationship to his writing and the time, and I can see different things that I that I used to like that I don't so much anymore. One of the things that he commented on was. You have to view the film for what it is and what it's trying to do. So when you're watching like My Fair Lady, you shouldn't go into it with the same expectations as you're going into with Female Prisoner Scorpion. See, uh, <laughs> and and you shouldn't you shouldn't go in with that expectation because you're not going to be seeing that film. The goals of those films are completely different. 
even if there are elements of the film that that run very very close to each other and and it's part of the reason that I feel that like I don't want to just hate on film criticism but I do feel that film criticism is such a such a binary conversation about a specifically review culture, not, mm-hmm. not right when it comes out. Yeah. Not, not people who comment on the film like we're doing or like really great uh, minds like Sam Deegan or, or Kat Ellinger, like people like that who historians are historians who are reviewing it at, from a context of time and, and space. Exactly. And that's kind of what film needs. Like I remember that uh, Bill Simmons on one of his podcasts used to argue that the Oscars should always come five years after the film comes out so that we have time to figure out which films actually have cultural relevance and which films have lasted the test of time rather than the popularity of what they were in the moment so that Mm -hmm. we don't get films like Crash, not the Cronenberg Crash, but the shitty Crash Mm -hmm. winning uh, Best Picture because that film has no cultural relevance anymore. And And when we look at it, we're like, oh... That film is a piece of shit. And while there were people saying that at the time, all the people who were rushing to jump on the idea of a cultural movement that that this uh, lame ass film was trying to present, like it, it, it made all the Karens feel really good about themselves. But time has allowed us to see that 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 film doesn't work in the way that we that people got wrapped up in the politics. Right. So. The press, the money. So, so it's it's interesting to look at a film like Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion. Well done. I, I nailed it that we time. Did it. Let's just call it. Yeah, two, did it. two for three. End of podcast. And uh, <laughs> scene. Uh, the, to look at that in time with, with relation to other films that mm-hmm. because no film actually lives in a void Mm-mm. and because no film really lives in a void it's hard to just discuss a film as its own thing and be like okay so this film is just this and no reference points it becomes a like the the trouble for me at times with that is it becomes a really binary or compare contrast like this film did this well and this film did this bad rather than thinking of it as a deepening of a thought so what i hear you saying is the review culture mm-hmm. around film it's come out it's coming out next week i got a screener of it ahead of time this is what i think of the film that i watched last night and here's my article about it and in that instance what you're saying is that initial reaction that initial response to it whatever the reviewer was feeling that day whatever the critic was kind of going through in their day. This is just their response to mm-hmm. their experience of watching that film that one time. Yeah. And what you're, what I hear you saying and what I think we both agree is that that sort of discussion of film doesn't interest us mm-hmm. because it's too soon. Yeah. After having watched it one time, we, you cannot know a film after one viewing, as no. you've said many times, you don't listen to a song once. Yeah. Um, you don't look at a painting for two minutes and walk away mm-hmm. and go, yep, I got what that painter was doing. I know everything about it. Yeah. You you spend time in art. You are supposed to experience it many times and in different on different days with different feelings and different experiences and at different in different decades. Mm-hmm. And so therefore, we don't really find a lot of interest or too much value in the instant response critic. Yeah. We find a lot of value in film historians and people pas- passionate film reviewers mm-hmm. who have spent 
a lot of time with the film who understand kind of the context of where it's coming from and can provide insight in that way. Yeah. It's like people who like film critics who have a time crunch Mm -hmm. who are like, I've seen this film on Tuesday. The, the review needs to be out by Thursday and I need to have collected all my thoughts while also having seen a couple other films that I'm going to talk about in other reviews is just not that helpful because what you end up doing is grabbing onto the most obvious things and saying things like, well, the plot was hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Well, what if the film's fucking point is the plot is hard yeah. to follow? Like what if the point of the film is you're supposed to watch it four times and mm-hmm. not like some convoluted Christopher Nolan bullshit. That's just like, I'm trying to be smarter than you. We're like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. There's a lot, there's a lot of moving pieces in this. Say something like Altman where you're like, Oh, there are, There are 15 major characters. All of them have individual wants and desires and they're trying to do something. I'm not going to be, I don't have 15 friends that I know exactly what they're fucking doing on a single day. So why would I know what was going on in a two hour movie where where I'm meeting and trying to understand characters and then moving to the next thing? Mm -hmm. And we're not trying to say that we hate film reviewers or anything like that. That's not what we're saying. Mm -hmm. There's a purpose. There's a reason for it. Mm -hmm. It's just when we're coming to this podcast from the perspective of being filmmakers of spending our entire lives and our career focused on the art of storytelling through the visual medium of film. Yeah. And so from that perspective, we want to marinate on structure, on, on story, on concept. We want to spend time in every film appreciating how much work goes into making it, Mm -hmm. how many people have to get together to create a, a vision. So many people work on every film. So yeah. many more people than you can imagine. Yeah. And if you think about that, just, you know, somebody writes a book, it's one person sitting down working their ass off to write a book, but it's them sitting down. And then the little team of people around them that help them finish it. Mm-hmm. The editor, their their friends, their spouses, their... The publisher. The publishers, like all the different people that are along, the copywriter, like all mm-hmm. the different people along the way that come together to help make that vision happen. But ultimately, it's about the author sitting down and writing. Yeah. But a film is about the director, the writer, the editor, the cinematographer, the costume designer, the art director. There's so many people, yeah. the, the gaffer. The line producer, the actors. The actors. Like, yeah. There's so, so many people involved in trying to come together to create this one concept. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that you can just watch it in two hours with your, you know, while also checking your phone and, yeah. and you know, getting up and, pausing six times because your dog needs to go out or whatever it's just it's not to say you can't watch a movie that way you can yeah but if you're going to discuss it and talk about it then there has to be some sort of reverence for yeah the art form well so we think yeah agreed and and i think that to to kind of underline that point that there is a relationship to be had with film reviewers as well as as historians and critics and, and the film itself i think that my favorite my favorite, favorite thing that I ever learned reading Roger Ebert is it's not about what the film's about. It's about how the film's about it. Mm. Because every film or almost every film story has been told in a various in various forms. But how a film chooses to tell that story, where it chooses to have its endpoints and outpoints, where it chooses to uh, how it chooses to describe its characters, how it chooses to visually represent 
the emotions, the inner emotions, the outer emotions of scenes, which is something that I think that we'll talk about in the film today, is what makes a film interesting. Because this film, uh, Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion, Yay. Is, uh, is a really unique way of telling an exploitation film, mm-hmm. a prison film. And it's just a fascinating discussion of how to tell a story that is straightforward in essence, but with a lot of style and a lot of emotion that is just incredibly intricate and, and exquisitely done, in my opinion. And this is all to say... Sort of to give you guys a reason why we spoil every film. We spoil every film because this is not, our podcast is not meant to be like, hey, here's a teaser on why you should watch it. It's a discussion of the film itself, which is, you know, why we have to talk about the whole thing. We can't pretend like something's not going to happen or be like, oh, well, we don't want to ruin it for you. So we want to talk about the whole thing. This is this is here to dig in and discuss the entirety mm-hmm. and other films as well. We will talk about other films and and ruin them as well. Yeah. And we apologize to everyone who it pisses off. We don't want to piss you off. We want to we want to discuss the hell out of movies. Yeah. And so the only way we know how to do that is to just jump in and hope you've seen it before you listen. Yeah. Which is why you should follow our stories so you can hear about what we're going to talk about next. Exactly. To prep. Yeah. Woo! So all of this is to say, don't Tinder date your movies. You're welcome. Mm-hmm. Austin, would you like to give us a synopsis for Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion? Happily. This is from uh, from IMDb, which this one doesn't sound too terrible to me. Ooh, shocker. After being used and betrayed by the detective she has fallen in love with, young Matsu is sent to a female prison full of sadistic guards and disobedient prisoners. Which is all right. Like... Like disobedient it, prisoners really puts the blame on the ladies, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, but it also says sadistic guards. They so, are sadistic. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah. So like bad. like they're like neither party, which is one of the most incredible things or one of m- most lovely things, if lovely is the right word, about this <laughs> film is that like nobody's good. Like they're everybody's kind of a piece of shit. Like like Matsu isn't uh like she's an antihero. Yeah, she's she, a hero. Yeah, she's. Yeah, she is an anti-hero. She's like it's interesting because like I think that I I'm not the first to make this point by any means, but she is definitely a prototype for almost all female action heroes after her. Like mm. like she is such like she like every like everything from like the bride in Kill Bill to Black Widow is like a shitty carbon copy of this incredible performance and character. Mm, I agree with that. Yeah. The, it's, it's fascinating. Would you like to start with, uh, discussing exploitation films and your discovery of them? Sure. My relationship with exploitation films is, is relatively new. Honestly, like I, I spent the first portion of my film, history and study watching films that are kind of quote unquote canonized by uh, groups that include like the Criterion Collection, which is a wonderful place to start and kind of get a get an understanding of world cinema, especially cinema outside of outside of the U.S. getting uh, getting introduced to Western cinema, 
but no no but also japanese cinema they okay. have they have a ton of films by oshima and kurosawa like without them i wouldn't know who imamura is i wouldn't have ever seen any of the films by senjita rei like there's a whole bunch of films outside of uh outside of western cinema that uh criterion has released and while they have been properly taken to task for not showing enough uh uh, african-american cinema or african cinema at all uh their 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 reach beyond just uh french new wave yeah like they have a ton of iranian films in their collection so like there is uh there is a world out there that they have helped present but what they have not been interested in wholly or having a lot of interest in is films of exploitation manner like uh or, or that fall under the umbrella of an exploitation film. They have some. Uh, they have some that relates to like film noir and that. But mostly they have shied away or have not had the rights, which is a big issue with a lot of this as well, had the rights to release these films. And, and so when I started to kind of branch out, and this also ties in for me with discovering a, a wonderful podcast called Daughters of Darkness, uh, and starting to follow uh, some of the trends and some of the films that they were interested in and discussing, that I uh, I found films like this, and this was an incredible gateway to this style of filmmaking, which is really, really like in some ways guttural. Like they like the films generally are very low budget, at least B movies at best. I, I can just hear critics comment on how the acting in a lot of these type of films is not Daniel Day-Lewis-esque. Mm-hmm. Too campy. Or one note-ish. It's, it's, an, interesting, it's an interesting area to, to, to kind of discuss, but I'm not sure that it's, this is the place that I want to do it on this podcast. There's an element of the acting that is, that is honestly one note-ish, but it's so affecting in its note. It's like asking a trumpet to, to play a saxophone part. It's a really interesting film. Because there is so much going on that works within the realms of exploitation, mm-hmm. of women in prison, of uh, rape revenge, of uh, just of just revenge, period. Mm-hmm. And then it also includes all this incredible the- theatricality and this incredible tie to culture. Mm-hmm. Which I find like I find lacking in in some of our modern day films at all. Like when you say culture, you're referencing like nationalism of yeah. Japan or in this specific film. Yeah, in this specific film, uh, I'm I'm referencing that. Like the film starts off with the flag of Japan, mm-hmm. and then later when Matsu has her first sexual, when she has her sexual debut, mm-hmm. uh, the sheets are dramatically stained with blood in the exact same representation of the flag yeah it's as if matsu is japan that she's honorable that she represents the best of us Mm -hmm. she is never gonna back down she is completely focused on not letting her spirit be broken Mm -hmm. no matter what you do to her she will never break yeah and i feel like i feel that that is what the film is saying mm-hmm. that she is Japan. Yeah. I find that really interesting. Yeah. I really like that story. And, element. And, and that, that this individual 
representation of of Japan is bucking all of the trends or bucking all of the social influences. And while there are some people that she is friendly with in the film, Yukio, I think. Yuki is her Yuki. best friend. I, I, I would call her best friend. Yeah. The one she escapes with at the beginning yep. and the one she takes care of as she's dying. Mm-hmm. The one who stands in front of the, goes in front of the bullet, takes the bullet for her, if you will. Yeah. It, like, it, like there are some people that she, that she is friendly with, but there aren't many people that fit within her, her requirements of being a good person. I mean, everybody betrays her. Yeah, I mean, or, or, jail sucks. Or, yeah, and that's not that's not news it's, in any way. That was revelatory. Yeah, okay. everyone listening was like, "Oh my god, jail sucks." Yeah. Oh god. Wow. Yeah. Wow. But yeah, I know. I bring a lot to the table. You're welcome. <laughs> Coffee, biscuits, <laughs> and revelatory statements. Yeah. It, it's the three. It's the three big things. Ba-ba-da, that's what I do. But okay, so. Before I like lose my thread in this regards, like what are some of the things about the film that really strike you? The thing that struck me the most, there are two things, I guess. The first was Meikyo Kaji's performance mm-hmm. and specifically her stare. It was um, incredible. She's mm-hmm. an incredible performer. And the second thing is the theatricality of it. Mm-hmm. That's the one I want to talk about first. Okay. The theatricality of the film, when I say that, what I mean is it literally feels like a theater in some of the scenes. Mm -hmm. So when we go to the flashback scenes of her relationship with her ex, her um, working with the Yakuza, the rape scene, when we go to these flashbacks, it is obviously shot in a theater or a sound, Mm -hmm. you know. Soundstage. Thank you. Soundstage. Um, and just the set design of it is so other from the reality of the world of the rest of the film. So everything else feels like it's shot on location or mm-hmm. created to feel as if we're in a jail, as if we're actually digging mm-hmm. these big holes. Cause we're actually in dirt. We're not miming the dirt. We are mm-hmm. in a space with a lot of dirt. So the theatricality of the Yakuza scene with the with the fabric behind her mm-hmm. moving and flowing in the air, the blue colors, the lighting, the design of it all, it does feel like you're walking into a theater and you're seeing a performance. Yeah. So it is meant to feel different mm-hmm. from reality or actualization of a performance. It shouldn't feel too... It should feel somewhat um, at arm's length. Yeah. And so what I really, really, really like about it is how bold it is Mm -hmm. in the choices of color, the bright blues, the deep reds. But what I also really like about it is that while it's keeping us at somewhat of an arm's length, we completely side with Meiko Kashi's character. We are right there with her. Mm -hmm. And it, it, so therefore to me, it enhances the experience. Yeah. The way that her ex-boyfriend is pulling the sheet as she's having for her sexual debut. Yeah, unraveling her. Yes, literally unraveling her and she's rolling this this but and everything else is gone in the room. It all you have is this blue room, mm-hmm. this white sheet and the two of them. Mm-hmm. It's so focused. You're not distracted by what the room setup is. What does his bedroom look like? Is it her bedroom? Is it his bedroom? We don't know where it is. Doesn't matter. It's not it's not about that exactly. It's only about this really spe- what was for her 
a very special moment that was later destroyed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you counter that with the rape scene, mm-hmm. which was done so well in the sense of you saw how disgusting mm-hmm. and horrible all these Yakuza were. You saw how their faces are smashed up against the glass. Cause it's, so it's filmed from below, as mm-hmm. you know, because you guys have seen the movie, hopefully. Um, it's filmed from below on this glass platform. And you just see her back and you see their faces get all around her so close, so smushed up, so disgusting. Mm-hmm. And it's so violating it puts the act, it puts the audience into the same space as her. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I think that is a really amazing representation of, of such a profoundly traumatic experience. Yeah. It, it's, it really does put us in her perspective mm-hmm. because we watch their disgusting faces. There's like, it really does a, a, a good job of, making us aware of how horrifying this this moment is it doesn't like unlike what you're talking about what we talked about earlier with my fair lady like we hear her screams but we don't see how horrifying this is for her we are asked to be on her on her side on her level of have her vantage point in this attack and that's, mm-hmm. I think, a really important element of how the film approaches its narrative structure in general, mm-hmm. because it says you are with her, mm-hmm. that Matsu is is our hero no matter what. She's our hero and you are going to follow her journey and her struggle from, from being uh, used and abused by the shit ass detective through her revenge plot to get back at him at anyone involved. And somebody might, people might disagree with me, but I feel that the way that this was shot specifically was done so as not to eroticize rape Mm -hmm. because there is going to be a lot of assaults on women in this film. And I feel like repeatedly it is done in such a way to put us, like as you said, into her position to be Mm -hmm. seeing from her view the disgusting, the horrid, the 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 horror of it, and not glamorizing it and not making it sexy, which yeah. too often filmmakers do. Yeah, and I read somewhere I don't remember exactly where, so I uh, citation needed mm-hmm. uh, is that uh, Mikyokaji uh, left her original studio that she was working with when she was making i think the stray cat rock series uh because or in part they they wanted to add more nudity and she was reluctant to do it and then she goes to this film in which she does have nudity in it and yet none of her nudity is sexualized like even her sex scene that she has that you were describing, she's covered in a blanket. The only time that we actually see her naked is when she's being assaulted Mm -hmm. or when she's reacting to the assault. Like what gets her thrown into prison is this incredibly gorgeous scene of her hiding behind a car when the, uh, the police officer walks out, the police officer who's betrayed her walks out of the station in this nice new suit and looking all fancy and shit. And she jumps up from behind the car, tosses off her cape, Zorro. Still is wearing the clothes in which she was raped in, 
and is like her breast is hanging out and she has a, has a knife in her hand and she's swiping at him and there's nothing sexual about this Mm-mm. scene at all there is just violence mm-hmm. and it's like i think that there's something really fascinating i think there's something that's that that i would like to at some point talk about in other films about how nudity can be used as a narrative device within mm-hmm. film and i think that this in this moment, it's really done well because the violence has been done to her and she's wearing the same outfit and she's carrying a knife and she wants to cut the fuck out of him. Mm-hmm. Like, she the, kill him. the nudity and sexuality in this film is all violent. Like, it's all really, really violent or tied to this, tied to this uneroticized violence. Mm-hmm. Like, there, there's, the, there's the moment when uh, there's the, the, later in the film, uh, Matsu's put into uh, solitary confinement and the guards trying to get something from her send in a undercover female officer who tries to get information from her and Matsu seduces her mm-hmm. but the seduction almost feels like an assault in itself like it she did. like she starts off the, the the detective's like no 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 I don't want this I don't want this and then Matsu gives such great oral sex that she's like, I can you just send me back to prison with her? I would just like to be in that room. And while that's kind of a laugh, they play both. So mm-hmm. you get to see both scenes, both moments of this woman's uh, relationship and being kind of victimized. And yeah, I think that this whole film is about violence, how violent it is to live in the world as a woman. Mm-hmm. It is an it is an incredibly violent place for us. Mm-hmm. It is never safe. And this film is highlighting all the many of the ways, not all the ways, but many of the ways that we as vi- women go through the world and are violated, are mm-hmm. have violence turned against us and are violent mm-hmm. in it of ourselves, in yeah. ourselves. And so I really like that about this film because of the the violence isn't shied away from. Mm-hmm. Um and it said, no, this is, it's a really violent place for you. Yeah. And, and Welcome, the, ladies. And I think that the violence, like, tell me if you disagree, but I think that the violence is also couched in this kind of uh, societal issue. Like, this is not, this is not saying that these people are inherently violent people. It's saying that they become violent because of the situation, because of the prison. Like, there's the, the four women, four or well, five. Well, maybe not the men. Maybe the men were always violent. Yeah, absolutely that. And, and, and but like there's there's four women, five women that are on the side of the guards who are wearing the orange uh Yeah, jump, like they're higher ups, the yeah. hierarchy. Yeah, and then there's most of the prison population that is wearing blue. this blue and white striped dress. And there's orange white striped dress, blue white striped dress. And those women are truly mimicking the action of the guards. Mm-hmm. And so to your point, I think that one of the things that the film is showing is that there is a pushing downhill of like there are people in power and those people are men. Those men do cruel and and inhumane things to women. Mm-hmm. And those women then push that 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 function of violence down on the next generation or the next lower group of people so that there's always this violent push, this constant push to like to suppress and demonize the lowest people so that they no longer have a humanity. And I think that's the thing that I think that's one of the things that 
that Matsu holds on to most in this film, even with her violence, even with her anger, she feels so incredibly human. And it's such an incredible performance by Kaji because of that humanity that she's able to present while still being like this vicious, murderous, this murderous person. Like she's just like, she like at the end of the film, I'm still rooting for her, but she's fucking murdering everybody. And I'm not rooting. I'm not like, yeah, get that fucker. Like, chop off his balls like that dude deserves to be burned like like all the that shit is is partially there but what i'm rooting for or what i find myself rooting for is her to gain some semblance of her humanity back and the only way for her to grab that back for herself is by extinguishing all these other things revenge yeah like she's she's like i think that that's the thing that that that, that hooks me about the film is that it's not about just killing people and becoming the monster it's not like last house of the left or uh, the virgin spring where vengeance shows you how murderous you have to become to to kind of annihilate the idea of vengeance as a possible response to murder her murder is i'm trying to just get back to the person I was before all the shit happened and all the shit keeps happening. I just want to be, can you leave me the fuck alone so I can be a person? Which of course is the great irony because once you travel down that path, you'll never be the person you were before. Right. And so is it also an exploration of going who coming to terms with who you are? Yeah. It is not in this film. No. But that is of course the idea. Yeah. Get to get back to get back to humanity. Mm. You have to, come to terms with yourself yeah and she's never gonna be the person that she was before the detective rolls her out no he he broke he just well he fractured that he fractured yes he fractured that she's a damn amazing woman Mm -hmm. she's an amazing unbreakable spirit yeah kaji who is who is a fucking awesome performer and and sings the theme song to the movie Mm -hmm. which was used in kill bill and if you've if you've never had the pleasure of watching uh, Meiko Kaji's films, like go and search some out. Like go and find this series. Go f- go watch uh, Lady Snowblood. Go watch the uh, the Blind Woman's Curse. Stray Cat Rock. And Stray Cat Rock. Like go watch those films and watch this. She's not Meryl Streep, but I don't give a shit. Like she's. Well, we don't need a second Meryl Streep. Right. It, it, she's an incredible performer who does a a wonderful job being. One of the most striking and unique presence in cinema in the past 50, 60 years. Like she was when when she was making most of her films, she was fucking amazing. And like there are very few performers even today that cut her sort of striking figure. Like I I put her in the kind of uh, like Keanu Reeves, John Wick category of just like somebody who's who can do no wrong in that kind of awesomeness. I would actually say that. What I like about her performance is it isn't superhero-esque. Yeah. It is just survival Mm -hmm. and stamina Mm -hmm. and willingness to just not let go of your single-minded vision, which is to not be broken. That is her only vision, it seems. It's, I will not be broken by you. Yeah. And it's, I'm actually referencing Sam Deegan's article Mm -hmm. um, from, I'm thinking it's Diabolic Magazine. Mm Mm-hmm. Diabolique? We don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah. Diabolic Magazine. Sam Deegan. She's a film historian here in Philly. And she had a really good video on her Patreon page about this film specifically. Um, but she, 
let's see if I can pull up what she said. Basically, she said she's not supernatural. Mm-hmm. And I agree with that, that her performance is so interesting and, and amazing because she's just being a person mm-hmm. who has this incredible willpower mm-hmm. and spirit. Yeah. Which is really interesting from a female heroine perspective. Mm-hmm. Female heroine. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> department of redundancy department department calling right now that's the phone call by the way that's what that sounds like I, i've never been on one so it's nice to hear what they sound like <laughs> i'm smart anyway skip to the end she's rad yeah well it's interesting you say that because i think that there's 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 two things there i completely agree with with what you're saying and what what sam deegan is saying about her not being supernatural. And yet the film treats her at times like the supernatural, like precursor to J horror Mm. where in the end of the film, when she is checking off the list of all the people that have wronged her, like she just shows up places and murders them. She shows up there. Like there's no, she doesn't even need a list like the bride. Yeah. She can just remember. Yeah. She's got memories. Like she's got the, she's got this, she's got this thing called memory Mm -hmm. and, and it's traumatic and she wants to, extinguish it but she shows up in places and we don't need to follow her to each location as she's getting here or getting there or doing this or doing that she just shows up she does her business and she ends and there's there's something like that you could view the film saying that she's supernatural or you could just view the film as saying well we don't need this to be a two and a half hour film of her just wandering around and getting all to, getting all to the locations. Let's just cut to the chase and she's going to kill all these motherfuckers really fast. Are you saying this kill bill took too much time in getting to locations? Well, I'm saying that there's a different there's a different goal in <laughs> mind for this film. It's like, no, like in the exploitation manner, it's like, no, let's get to the fucking killings now. Like mm. we don't need to spend time figuring out how she's killing people. We just need to get to the part that she is killing. Like there's. There are there's something to be said about films that deal with minutia. Like it's really fun to watch a David Mamet film and listen to all the characters plot out all the different ins and outs of what the fuck is going on. Pro tip: Everybody watch State and Maine by David Mamet. Mm-hmm. I love that movie. Yeah, or Heist, like that, like how they plot their plots. Yeah. is how they plot how their do you plot. Plot the plot. Yeah, la, la. <laughs> it's amazing. Like again, <laughs> I'm really really good at using the word to describe the word that I'm using. How to plot your plot. Like, That's a t-shirt right there. Yeah, how to, and it's just a plot of land. Oh, yeah. How no, to, it's like a grave. Yeah, how to plot your plot. <laughs> <laughs> I could go really dark there. I'm not going to I'm not go. gonna follow that train. Uh, that, that train has left the station. <laughs> we, We're trying. Bye. Bye, uh, thought. Uh, so anyway, like the, you, can, you can spend time trying to figure out how to get things done and how to make things work, or you can just fucking do them. And this is a film that you're like, I don't care. Like we've already had, like we've had these wonderful theatrical scenes that you've talked about. And we and we've had a couple of really weirdly unique scenes, like the scene where uh, Matsu has gotten out of solitary and is in the showers, where there are a bunch of women, like just all of these these police officers watching a whole bunch of women shower nude. A group shower scene. Yeah, which sucks. Yeah, which is. Also part of the reason that this is an exploitation film, because you're like, we don't need this gratuitous nudity. And the scene goes on for a really long time, not unnecessarily long, but it goes on for a long time where nobody's wearing clothes. Like, and so like 
Like you're like welcome to the shower scene. So so the the producers are like, how are we getting the audience in? We're gonna get him in through this way. Boobs, but, boobs, boobs. Uh, works every time. Uh, yeah, <laughs> boobs and bush. That's that's what we're doing. Yeah, every and time. and so like in this scene, one of Matsu's antagonizers gets caught with a uh, a piece of uh, like I can't like something that that would help them escape. Yeah, I can't remember a, exactly a what the device is. It's like either a file, maybe, yeah. or something very thin and metally. Mm-hmm. And this woman uh, immediately singles out Matsu as the person who did this, and she grabs a knife, and suddenly her unadorned face becomes covered in a kabuki-style makeup. Yeah, this was and, a great scene. And she and the color in the scene changes. It like it changes to this green blue. blue yeah, and she starts striking out at at Matsu, and she's just. She's flying through the air, basically. Like if you've ever seen a very a, magical. If you've ever seen a, a Spike Lee film, he uses this technique a lot, where basically the actor stands on a platform that's attached to the camera, mm-hmm. and the camera moves like on a dolly system, and they seem to float in the air as they're moving around. So it gives them a, an ethereal kind of presence, and there's wind blowing her hair back, mm-hmm. and she has blood dripping, seemingly dripping from her face. Yeah, it's as if the 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 injury on her forehead and the blood dripping down becomes kabuki makeup. Mm-hmm. And, and it's and it's this beautiful, cool. fabulous, cool ass thing. Very horror. And so, like, it, it's when it it it's when you know. Style in a film takes more precedence than structure, but the style in this underlines the structure. Like mm-hmm. the film is a looping narrative structure. We don't learn how uh, Matsu goes to prison until about 15 minutes into the film after she's tried to escape. Mm-hmm. Like this film is looping, this film is emotionally tied to how the narrative goes. It doesn't give a shit about being really. N- narratively uh, uh, literal or linear yeah which is a great reminder of partly why we we mentioned it before you don't want to necessarily watch things one time because mm-hmm. when you started a second time you watch the movie second third fourth time you already go in knowing exactly what's happening mm-hmm. so that you can appreciate each scene yeah as it is it is interesting that we open with her being so kind mm-hmm. to her friend yuki to to not leave her behind yeah when they're being chased by the guards to stand up for her to aggressively grab that gun from that one guard mm-hmm. and and wrestle it away from him and knock him down. Yeah. Like it's it's very interesting that the choice was to open with her at her kindest mm-hmm. and then to go into the violence. So yeah. again, we are immediately drawn into being like, she's an amazing human. Look at what she's doing. Yeah. It- and her friend. Um Yeah. I think that's a really interesting way to begin. Well, it's 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 a really like I agree. Like the film begins with her breaking out of prison while the warden is getting a commendation for the great work he's done at the prison, <laughs> which is a great fucking joke. Mm-hmm. It's just a great joke. And so a really good joke. A, and then she's running with her friend and her friend uh suddenly grabs her stomach because she has she's she's having terrible cramps. Uh, and, and starts bleeding down her legs. Like you mentioned when we were watching the last film that you thought maybe she was having a miscarriage, mm-hmm. which is also possible. Like I like like with all the, think that with all the amount of rape that happens in this film, like there's no way that that idea that she could either be miscarrying or having her period uh, is is out of the question. Like well, I just think that 
there are definitely times where you have cramps that are so bad that running is horrible. But in that moment of you trying to escape from prison, mm-hmm. it's not going to double you down. Right. You're going to be able to power through that. Yeah, your without, adrenaline. Yeah, it's not going to be an issue for you. It's yeah. not going to be something that you else, you're also not going to bleed like that. Right. So to me, I feel like it was a miscarriage yeah. from all the assaults that yeah. were clearly happening to women and that she's breaking free. So it would be when she can. Mm-hmm. Like her body would be like, whoo, let's get rid of everything. I mean, because you know what happens like that? Yeah. It's just, you it's just like, have to will it. Like, but you the, just will the miscarriage. But you even saying that is similar to what how uh, Matsu responds to her. It's like, oh, your body, like you haven't had a period in a long time. And now that you're free, your body is free to do it, which mm-hmm. is an incredible comment itself even if it even if it's kind of misguided or kind of uh like it might not be true like i like i've taken it as true up until the point that you said it was possibly a miscarriage that what she said was exactly what was happening but i don't have to believe that it can be whatever the fuck makes the most amount of sense to me which i think your comment that she's having a miscarriage right now makes the most amount of sense for why she's acting the way she is and how how overwhelmed she is by her cramping and her and how much blood she's losing down her leg. And the song is it the song in this one or is it the song in the next film? Uh, they're, they're the same song. Okay, where she's talking about menstrual blood, she's singing yep. about it. Yeah, and all the loss. Yeah, and just and sh- shedding blood each month should let me let go of yep. this pain, and yet yep. here I am, and so. The violence against women with menstrual blood. It's just, it's really interesting as a parallel. Yeah. I, I would like to, if, if you don't mind, jump around a little bit again and comment on the fact that this first scene with her friend and the last scene with, with her friend. With Yuki. With Yuki. Mm-hmm. Like, the first scene is incredibly natural. It's obvious that they're shooting on location in the fields uh, mm-hmm. of, of with water and with these reeds and like it's yeah it's yeah it's very very natural the setting and then the last scene after yuki has been shot it's obviously a soundstage Mm -hmm. and one of the most incredible bits of it is and this i think ties to how emotional this film actually is is that as she dies the sky is red and there's this beautiful red hue all over the stage, all over the scene. And when she dies, the red goes away. The scene drains of almost all color. Mm-hmm. And then it's only left with this very monochromatic blue that matches the dress that Matsu's wearing. And it's just like, like, it's like all the blood and all the heart has been drained from her one last time. Like, she like when only friend yeah when when in this scene there has been a prison uh riot uh and she's left alone with her friend who has been shot and from that point forward like like they're like she is singular in her mission like she accepts the help of one other girl to get rid of to get out of a, a a scene in which she's been captured by the the group of rioters because all the rioting and i don't think we've said this yet all the women in the prison hate Matsu. They mm-hmm. fucking hate her. They want her to be destroyed. Like it's constantly the the Ani DeFranco line. It's constantly everybody hates the prettiest girl in the room sort of mm-hmm. shit. Like they all want her dead. And none of them really have the balls to to go after her. 
on their own. They all need a group think to be able to do it. And mm-hmm. even all the prison guards fucking want to destroy her as well. Everybody wants to like, destroy her. Because like, how dare she have that spirit? Yeah. How 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 dare she be an individual mm-hmm. in a in a group setting? How dare you be willing to stand by your own uh standards mm-hmm. uh and and be your own person mm-hmm. when you have to conform or mm-hmm. else you're, con- you're or or else you're destroyed and like but from that moment when the, when the stage actually drains of color and of blood she she's just uniquely defined by her desire to uh to to cause revenge upon the people and i find it really interesting as well speaking of that after the rape scene of hers that we talked about earlier, when we're looking de- looking up through the glass at the men attacking her, after that scene, there is a scene of her still laying on that glass, and she looks over at the camera, which is representing the shitbird of a of a detective, and below her, the light changes from the from white light to red light, and she looks up with hatred. And then later in the film, when she is marking off everybody who has uh, checking everybody off the list, she's checking it twice. Uh, she's covered or they're covered in green light. Like, so it's almost as if the the color of the film is showing us that she is being relieved that we're using this red light for stop and rage and this green light for release. Hmm. Every single one of them is bathed in that green light except for the shitbird detective who she kills last mm-hmm. Every, on, like, a roof. on a roof very natural setting mm-hmm. like it's like out of all the like out of all the killings it's the least theatrical mm-hmm. like even though his performance in being murdered is very arched and like like dancer pose mm-hmm. dancer pose dead it's like it's the most he natural be dramatic about yeah. it he's a fuck boy he's gonna be as dramatic as he can be such a fuck boy he's like i'm just gonna send one more text no no no, one more no bags no No bags so yeah but it's swipe right but it's fascinating like thinking that she doesn't go like all the red has been drained out now Mm -hmm. like it's not red that she's seeing anymore like it's green Hmm. that she's she's interacting with i like that yeah so Austin, will you tell me a little bit about the reviews of this film from when it came out? Yeah, I, I think that it's interesting. Like when we tying back into kind of what we were talking about at the top, with with reviews and how all, kind of myopic they are because at the time we have we're, like the reviewers have a specific set of things that they're trying to do and they can't look back at the film right. with time. So you don't have time on your side. Like the thing that the film review that like I want to highlight is basically sight and sounds review, which is like somehow still a, like a, a bastion of cinematic uh, perfection. Like who cares? Anyway, I believe you said that sarcastically. I believe I did too, but I, I can't tell anymore okay. cool. either. Cool. cool, cool. Um, so they described the film as pure exploitation that had, uh, that there were a fair number of arty flourishes, expressionistic lighting and makeup effects theatrically stylized sets and gymnastic camera work. Uh, And they also noted that any suggestion of a feminist critique of a patriarchal society is hard to reconcile with the sustained glib emphasis on female torment. Glib? 
Yeah, that's exactly what I wanted to ask you about. Can you see anything glib about it? I completely disagree with that. First of all, it sounds like it's dismissing of the very elements that I think are what make it kind of a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. The theatricality, the colors, the stylized way that they filmed it. But I would not call any of this glib. We live in a violent society for women. Mm -hmm. Full stop. And this showcased some of the violence that we experience regularly. And I felt like it honored it. What was fucking glib was my fair lady and the assault on her shoving her in a bath and being stripped naked mm-hmm. when she thought she was coming over for voice lessons. Right. That's fucking glib. Let's fill up the room with steam and be like, ha 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 ha, no big deal. Mm-hmm. That's glib. Yeah. This was not glib at all. I disagree entirely with that. Yeah. It actually makes me kind of angry. Yeah. It. I, I agree. I can understand where somebody who believes that they are a feminist would be like, oh, it's glib because, you know, like there's the 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 credit sequence is just women who are completely naked uh, walking over this weird high jump, like kind of a jungle Jimmy type of experience yeah, yeah. steps up and down so that they can look into their yeah, and their the, vagina and, and their butts to so see. They, they climb these stairs and they walk over this uh, bridge bridge thingy. Like it's like a shitty playground park. And underneath the, the, the bridge are the male guards staring up at them. And they and we have shots of them just ogling all the women. But I do not believe for a second how it's shot that we are supposed to ogle these women. Like, no, we're sh- supposed to mock the men as we see their expressions. Yeah, and sure, they're they're naked, they're fully naked, and we get to see them, but it's humiliating. Yeah, it's supposed to be humiliating. Like, I feel so much empathy for all the people in the scene because of how it's presented. Yeah, and I just want to make a point. When I was in high school, I was in secondary school in Canada in Ontario for my grade nine year. And I was in a Catholic school and we had a uniform. I had to wear a kilt every day to school. And in the middle of the school, we had a winding fucking staircase. Mm -hmm. You went up a winding staircase to get to the second floor. Those were the stairs, the main stairs. What do you think the fucking boys did? They stood underneath the stairs and they stared up at us to the point where we all had to wear shorts underneath our kilts. We'd wear like boxer shorts or short shorts underneath our kilt because the boys would stare up our fucking skirts every goddamn day and if you think there wasn't a pile of them standing there you'd be wrong there was did the teachers do anything about it no they didn't fucking do anything Mm -hmm. so that to me is a real good representation of what it's like to walk upstairs Mm -hmm. if those stairs are being able to see through boys are going to stand underneath it upskirting happens all the time people are constantly trying to film women uh all the time underneath their skirts so like that feels super accurate so it pisses me off yeah. To treat that as if it's glib and somehow it's not feminist. I think it's extraordinarily feminist to show our actual fucking experiences. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting pissed. Yeah. And, and I think that Can I think. You tell? I, no, I, I can't. Like, <laughs> Did you notice? No. no that pissed I, me off. No, I think. I, I, and, and to not be glib about your, your, your frustration about that. I think that it's like it's a really important point that the film is making from the top. It is sh- like it shows you the dehumanization of this world. It might do it with style, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that style is like style. Glibness. It's yeah. not glib to be stylized. Well, and it's all style is not a, an act of consent. Like, Mm-mm. like if somebody is wearing something stylish, they are not consenting to have you ogle them or or to or minimize their existence. They are just stylish. The film style on its own has no connotation 
to the positive or the negative or to acceptance or denial. Likewise, without style, it is also not consent. Yes. If if there's a lack of style, either in clothing Mm -hmm. or in how it's being shot, Mm -hmm. it is not also a sign of consent. There, There is consent. Yeah. And then there is style or non-style. And and that's what I meant in, to some degree about uh, what I said earlier of in regards to like w- how nudity tells a story. Mm-hmm. Because I do not believe that the nudity that is shown at that moment in the film is about uh, uh, a anything other than the dehumanization of these characters. Showing that they are literally pieces of meat mm-hmm. walking through a jungle gym. That has been created for men to ogle them at, mm-hmm. to to just put them through the paces and make them feel like shit so that they have to then deal with that trauma with all the people that they're around mm-hmm. rather than with the people that are actually causing it. Not to mention how fucking cold it must have been. Oh, God, yeah. Not just in the filming of it, but just in, in the world of itself. Yeah. So cold. Yeah. And, and it's like, I think that... I think the thing that draws me to this film over and over again is that there's just so much thought in it. Like I consistently have like an active conversation with the film, which makes it to me just a fucking masterpiece as well. Like like I'm sitting there watching a film, having a conversation with it that is not distracted from it, but helped on by it. Mm-hmm. And that like there are very few films that I feel that engaged with. And that's partially why I think that it's just an incredible piece of art. Is there anything else that, that about the film that struck you or that you'd like to mention before we wrap it up? Yeah, I really enjoyed the fact that the men were complete incompetent boobs. <laughs> that was fun. Yeah. Yeah, it was just really nice to watch a movie where as violent as they were and as sadistic as they were, mm-hmm. they were also fucking idiots. And yes. they were boobs. And yeah. they could not... As even though they were surrounded by boobs, we shouldn't give boobs a negative name. Yeah. So back to that, they were just incompetent idiots. Yeah, and I really appreciate it uh, that none of them were good. Yeah, none of them were heroes. She wasn't saved by some hot guy that she falls in love with at the end, mm-hmm. who's always going to be there for her and yeah. really be supportive. She saves herself. Yeah, everybody has to save themselves. These women do not have support in the male society that surrounds them um and so i just i really appreciated that i really liked the comedy comes from these guys being incompetent yeah fucking assholes yeah and i like that yeah emily is there anything that you'd uh, recommend to stumble upon yeah i really enjoyed a film we watched recently called clear cut it was made in 1991 it stars graham green takes place i think in british columbia up in canada or at least i think that's where it was shot and it's just all about this white male lawyer who is trying to protect the indigenous people's land from being clear-cut and uh the experience of the fact that he isn't listening he's not really representing them though he keeps saying i'm your voice And the experience that he goes through with Graham Greene's character. I don't want to talk about it more than that and just say that it was an incredible performance by Graham Greene. It's a really, really good film. It's part of this box set that you got Mm -hmm. over the holidays um, about folk horror and, and just folklore in general. And 
I thought this was a really incredible film. Um, you can, I think you can find it on Amazon maybe to rent, mm-hmm. but it's called Clear Cut, starring Graham Greene. Definitely check it out. I really, really enjoyed the film. And if you haven't, if you if you know who Graham Greene is from like his roles in like Dances with Wolves or other American films uh, or U.S. films, yeah, this is a Canadian film. Uh, you should really check out his work in this film because he's fucking hot. Mm, he's beautiful. Yeah. And he's amazing in this performance. And I read somewhere that it was his favorite film that he's ever made. Yeah. Uh, it's a conversation that you need to be having. Mm-hmm. So watch it. Yeah. So Austin, do you have anything you would like to recommend to stumble upon next? Yeah. I, I'd like to uh, recommend a film called Il Domino. It's an Italian film from the 60s. It was directed by a guy I have no idea about other of his work, uh, um, Brunello Rondi. The film is just an incredible film uh, about a woman who is ostracized by her community, ostracized by the men she loves because she's not uh, like of the right class. I'm not, it's, yeah, it's, it's not clear why. He just yeah, rejects her. The film doesn't care to tell you what it's uh, what the problem with her is. Mm-hmm. She just is somebody who is desirous of something and looked down upon for it. Mm-hmm. It is a really interesting discussion about uh, societal relations and how they relate to uh, people on the outskirts. Mm-hmm. And I can't recommend it enough. The The lead actor, uh, a woman by the name of Dahlia Lavi, is fucking amazing. She was it. incredible. It's, there's a moment that, there's a moment in the film that you can see that was ripped off by The Exorcist. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's, it's a really, really wonderful film. Like she's, like, it, it it's ripe for rediscovery. It, felt to me uh actually to go back to the quote you mentioned earlier of Ani DeFranco nobody likes the prettiest girl in the room mm-hmm. it's that it, it's so interesting to me because she her the main character is so stunning stunningly mm-hmm. beautiful and everyone else is so not mm-hmm. and it shows the power which you don't see in Hollywood films anymore mm-hmm. it shows the power of being the small town like mired in poverty mm-hmm. out in the middle of fucking nowhere and all these people who are real fuck ugly or just normal looking, just regular people that live out in bumfuck nowhere. And then you have this incredibly stunning human and nobody wants anything to do with her because, of course, the concept of witchcraft, as you were mentioning, uh, witches, they're just um, rejected for, for a myriad of reasons. Mm-hmm. And one of them being being beautiful. Yeah. If you have the audacity to be beautiful yeah. here where we have no money, how dare you? And so that is just a really interesting element to the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and also a showing of Hollywood just not taking advantage of having a much more variety of people populating our cinema. Yeah. And so definitely watch it. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. So, as I ramble. <laughs> did you want to did you want to recommend my film? I'm sorry. <laughs> I really like it. <laughs> I like that you recommended it. I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> on that note, um, as always, you can find us on Instagram yep. at Fishtown Films, mm-hmm. where we'll keep you updated on the movies we're going to watch next, mm-hmm. um, where you can learn more about what we're doing behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. It's almost political season, people. Yeah, you so c- if you're lucky, you're going to see a lot of Democratic political ads made by us. You can also check us out on uh, citywide.film at uh, 
Instagram. It's where our feature film is. Uh, we're collating all our images for that. Mm-hmm. And that should be coming out in Marchish. Yeah, coming out soon. Our feature film, Citywide. We also are going to do a merch drop for that soon. Yep. Tomorrow we're going to Bulk Vintage here in Philly. And we're going to stock up on a bunch of vintage thrifted t-shirts and hoodies and then we're going to have them screen printed and made some cool art on them mm-hmm. for the film and they're all going to be one of a kind yep. there will be no two that are alike yeah so definitely check out citywide.film on instagram to learn more about the merch drop mm-hmm. and um yeah just stay in touch with us you guys we love hearing from you so slide into our dms make some recommendations on films you want us to talk about and stay in touch because we love making this with you so welcome to 2022 everyone Thank you for spending your time with us. See you later. Bye.